We all hang on to hope that our wildest dreams just might one day come true, don't we? I mean, it's okay to dare to dream, right? Well, if anybody ever tells you otherwise, make sure they listen to this. Hi, everybody. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Bolder, the program that says you are not too old and it is not too late. You can do the things you've always wanted to do, to be the person You've always hoped to be and live your life with passion and purpose. That's what Growing Bolder is all about, and that is what this particular program dives right into. You know, the phrase is, folks, ordinary people living extraordinary lives, and the more of them that you hear from, the more you're going to realize that you, too, can be one. And on this program, you're going to hear from a guy who was torn between Many passions, really, Bill. It was music and comedy and acting and social commentary. So so what, how do you choose? Well, Tim Minchin had to make that decision, and now he is delighting audiences all over the world in multiple ways. And we're going to bring you the extraordinary story also of a forgotten band that should have been legendary, who played with all the greatest bands in history back in the 60s, but never even recorded an album until 50 years after. Yes, the band is now back, and they are rocking once again. We'll chat with singer-songwriter Denise Kaufman about never giving up on your dreams. Ordinary people, extraordinary lives, it's all about growing bolder. And we start the program with a guest who has a very unusual story, one that goes back to the 1960s. Remember that decade, Bill? Oh, do I? (laughs) Uh, Do I? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you're old (laughs) enough. But a woman named Denise Kaufman shared the stage with Jimi Hendrix, Jefferson Airplane, and the Grateful Dead in her all-girl rock band, the Ace of Cups. But while those other groups went on to become immortals of rock and roll, Kaufman's group somehow vanished from memory. That is, until recently. We love this story. Some 50 years later, the Ace of Cups got back together again and began making albums, even though they're in their 70s. We spoke with Denise on our Facebook program, Growing Bolder, What's Next? There she is. How cool to have Denise Kaufman with us now. Welcome to the program. Denise, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Bill? Is that you, Bill? Yes. You know, I cannot believe your story. Like Mark was saying, back in the day, you shared the stage with Hendrix and the band and Joplin and the Grateful Dead and Jefferson Airplane. Why in the world don't we know about you guys? You know, we were the first all-women's band in the Bay Area scene, and we had never seen an all-women band before we started being one. And um, I think when, you know, during that era, the people, you know, you had to get a record deal to be known and the record companies just didn't quite know what to make of us is my, my, my thought. What, what um, a, what a huge mistake that is. And listen, not only did all those big stars love you, Rolling Stone loved you, all these magazines loved you, the critics loved you. We're going to let our viewers know why you are still amazing. It's called Ace of Cups is the name of the group. Denise Kaufman, she's the lead singer and bass player. Here comes a song called Feel Good. (laughs) I really like it because it makes me feel so good.
man. Too, isn't that awesome, Mark? It's it too, feels good. It's too good <laughs> to be true. The song is smoking wow. hot. The musicianship is fantastic. Singing and songwriting, you guys are amazing. Thank you. So I want to want to edit one thing you said. Um, I'm one of the singers, but we have five lead singers in our band. So the focus goes from one to another, to another, to another. And each one of us writes and each one of us leads sings. And sometimes we write together or in, in little collaborations of two or three. And uh, so, yeah. Well, what an honor to speak with Denise Kaufman, who really is part of music history, coming to us from her home uh, in uh, Kauai, Hawaii. Uh, gosh, we're envious there. Uh, you were there in, in the summer of love. As Bill said uh, earlier, I mean, you you played on stage with, with Hendrix and The Doors and all of those people. Uh, and look at you today, still going strong healthy. Uh, a lot of people didn't survive that era. Uh, you know, how, how did you make it this far? I mean, were you involved in the, in the psychedelic scene at all? I was on the bus with Ken Kesey. Uh, my oh. prankster name is Mary Microgram. And, um, <laughs> so yes, I was right in the middle of all of that. Um, but I've always uh, cared about staying healthy. I've been a vegetarian since I was 18. I've been a vegan for the last 15 years. Um, I practiced yoga since I was a teenager. Um, so I think that some of my practices helped me, um, and have a, have a center that kept me uh, going. Um, and I never really got into, I was very, I mean, to be honest, very into psychedelic drugs, but really nothing else than that. I was into experiences that, that drew me closer to oneness or, the divine or the great spirit. Um, and that's my bandmates are that way too. I mean, that's a focus for all of us is, uh, is that our music and that our, our, our devotions in life are toward unity and humanity and, and caring for each other. And that was kind of what always, I think, guided me and saved me maybe. And that's not just words either. I mean, you really lived it. You've been a warrior for social justice pretty much all your life. You were arrested at UC Berkeley in the 60s. And now in your 70s, you're fighting gender discrimination and ageism as well. What What is inside you, Denise, that makes you believe that you, we can make a difference? Well, first of all, just doing what you care about and not stopping, even though maybe there's a cultural uh, norm that says, well, at a certain age, you should stop doing that. I, I mean, that's that's very odd. And I don't think other cultures have that, you know, that programming. But, um, you know, when we first started, when the Ace of Cups first started, again, we, we didn't know any other all women bands. We didn't see women on stage playing their instruments in the rock scene. I know there had been jazz players and other, uh, and, you know, certainly symphonic players, classical players, but in our world, uh, you know, for a woman to be playing the drums or a woman to be playing lead guitar, that was not seen. So we were happy to kind of carve out that, or, you know, create that new um, imagery of, you know, for letting young people or anyone see women doing that, that kind of breaks up these stereotypes. So we did that 
because just because we wanted to play and we were, you know, particularly like our drummer had been told girls can't play drums from when she was in grammar school. She wanted to play drums in the um, in her school bands all the way through grammar school, junior high, high school. And she was told girls don't get to play drums. You can play the tambourine. So she didn't get to get started really on her drums till she was you know 18. But then she made up for lost time. I think for for in those days, just by being honestly, authentically who we were and following our passion, we were breaking up stereotypes. Now, you know, in those days, it was sexism. These days, it's, you know, combination of sexism and ageism. And it's really actually great to be flying the banner just by being who we are of don't stop, do what you love you know, break up your notions of what people need to be doing or not doing at any age in life. So um, I think ageism is a bigger, you know, wall, glass wall or glass ceiling than, than sexism even. Um, and, you know, when people say, hello, boomer, I'm like, I know it's said in a derogatory way, but I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, um, I, I, I have great love and respect for so many young people and what young people are doing and the music and everything. And, um, I would love the circuit to be, um, complete so that there's appreciation for everyone at all stages of life. And I think in our culture, especially with what's going on right now with COVID, um, we all need to be really taking care of each other and honoring each other. And I think that cultures that don't honor and appreciate the elders are very short-sighted and probably not long for this world to tell the truth. I think the cultures that honor the elders are able to um, bring wisdom forward and not make the same mistakes over and over. We are listening to a conversation with a could-have-been rock and roll legend, Denise Kaufman, and the first all-girl rock band, The Ace of Cups. And when we come back, she'll tell us what it's like to rock in your 70s, and she'll wail on the harmonica just for us. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Our partners at Florida Blue Medicare. It's important to know what's covered, so together we've created a guide that makes Medicare easy to understand. More information at growingbolder.com slash guide. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingbolder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. Welcome back to Growing Boulder. We are in the middle of a fascinating conversation with Denise Kaufman of the Ace of Cups, a band that played with all of the legends back in the 60s, but never really had a chance to make an album of their own until now. So let's get back to Denise and her story. What an inspiration you are, Denise. Uh, apparent that this culture needs your voice, and I don't mean just your singing voice. And, you know, as you talked about all the struggles that we've had as a culture, uh, I can't help but tell you I got a case of the blues. 
Uh, and I'm just wondering if anybody had a harmonica, <laughs> if, if, if at all, they could just play a little bit of the blues for us right now. Tell me a little bit about your case of the blues there. Tell me about well, it. Well, you know what? It's, it, it is. Ageism is the great equalizer. And it's the one thing that will affect all of us if we're lucky enough to make it into old age. And, and it yeah. just it gives me the blues to think that this that this culture, this society doesn't appreciate the voice and the value of older people. So, sister, would you please play me a little a bit of the blues? Thank you for that, Denise. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Do you, you know what happens so often is, you know, we'll see stories on, you know, online where they'll say, oh, look, at there was an old guy playing guitar or some old person was singing. But when you guys get up there and rock, it is serious business. It is top quality. We've got some video, some more video for the, of you then and of you guys now. It doesn't look like you've really lost anything. And to think that Ace of Cups was unfairly denied a record deal in the 60s, but you have proved, Denise, that it is never too late. 52 years later, about to release your debut album. It, is the band the same? And what does it feel like? How excited are you guys to step in there and finally finally get to, to to deliver something to a national audience well first of all um actually it's not our debut album we got our record deal from high moon records about 50 years after we first started as a band uh it was a, a few years ago <laughs> and we released our first studio album um november 2018 it was a wow. double album of we including a vinyl version with a big 17 page book and stories in it. And what we're releasing now is our second studio album. And um, it's uh, will be a, 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 both a CD and streaming and, and an LP. Um, we've already released two singles from it and we'll release at least two more. So this is our second album. And that's the one we finished just be, like two days before lockdown. Um, we've been working on it for quite a while. So and we have one more album we're going to do next year. You know, wow. God is willing. <laughs> you know, how exciting. And before we, we kind of wrap it up, because we, we got to get your philosophy on life in general. But, but, but I think it's important that people understand, Denise, that you are, uh, you're not a one-trick pony. You are a multi-trick thoroughbred. Uh, I mean, <laughs> as we've seen, you're a bit of a philosopher. You're an advocate. You obviously are a great um, artist, but you're also a renowned yoga teacher. In fact, uh, you've worked with Madonna and Quincy Jones and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. What is it about your philosophy in yoga that attracts those kinds of people? What are you teaching them? Well, it's interesting because I, as I, I practiced yoga from the time I was a teenager, my mother practiced 
some yoga. So I learned from her. Um, and then later through other teachers. So what I've done at different times in life for different kinds of practices, you know, the practice that you do in your 30s is not the practice you do in your 50s or the practice you do in your 70s. Um, so the thing about yoga that matters to me is that each of us has a completely unique body and anatomy, and we need to tailor our practice to our own our own structures and our own needs. So a practice, a yoga practice is, or an asana practice, the postures of the shapes is a, um, it's kind of like prayer. It's a very individual thing. So when people start to practice, I, I try to um, help them undo ideas of that's the right way to do it, or it should look like this. It's like the practice needs to be tailored to each of us. Mm. What I teach now is slow, deep stretching. Um, and I love doing it. It gets called yin yoga as contrasted with yang. But um, I think slow, deep stretching is the foundation for a long, healthy, fluid, juicy life. So that's, and I, as you might be able to see here, I try never to sit in chairs or as, as infrequently as possible. I live on the floor. I get a nice carpet and some pillows. I have low tables. And uh, I think living on the floor keeps you fluid and keeps you grounded. Wow. Amazing attitude. And that's what makes me want to ask you this one last question from me, at least, Denise. I'm just wondering if, man, as good as you guys are and as good as you were, even in the 60s, do you feel do you feel like you were cheated out on celebrity and stardom? Truly, not at all. Um, I. I feel as though maybe if we had had that happen, then we might have gone down a not so great path, which a lot of people did at that time. I mean, we were little, you know, granola women. We had gardens and by the time, you know, a couple of, by the time of 1969 and 70, we had babies and we did not want to, um, I'm really grateful that we didn't get into substances that would have, you know, derailed our, 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 our parenting or our lives. Um, so I, I don't know whether we would have had the maturity and the groundedness to handle um, some of the things that other people did, you know, get, get into. I don't mean the substance, but I mean just the, the popularity or the celebrity. Uh, you, you know, you need a, a lot of humility and connection with people and a very real look at yourself to not get turned around by some of those, um, those circumstances when people are, you know, putting you up on a pedestal, you, you know, you need to have people around you just kind of go, no, take out the garbage, you know? So I think we, I think we were really fortunate to have things unfold exactly as they have. You've lived a lot. It would be very easy to live in the past, but it's obvious Denise, that you are looking ahead to the future. And that, that's certainly something that keeps us going. Um, you know, so many people, when they get older, they, they become risk averse. They're afraid, uh, you know, not, not just to take risk that would hurt themselves, but to, to risk failure, to risk embarrassment, to risk extending themselves for a relationship. Well, through your life, all you've lived, all you've done, up and down, good and bad, experiment, What's the key? Can you leave us with something? What, what, what do you think the key is to, to successful aging? 
Stay open. Um, I mean, for me, it's live on the earth. Um, have people in your life of all backgrounds. Um, don't just have your bubble of relationships be your little cohort. You know, have friends that are children, have friends that are teenagers, have friends that are young people, have friends of all different ethnic backgrounds, you know, and if you don't have them, reach out and find them, you know, make friends, find people to listen to, find people whose stories that you can listen to, to keep opening your uh, heart and mind so that your world doesn't shrink. You know, you want to be able to have deeper and stronger connections with all, with all of us, you know, we, we need to stay connected in the biggest sense we can. Wow. Isn't that great? Denise Kaufman, you have one of the most interesting stories of the 60s. And in the last few minutes, we have found out that you are one of the most fascinating people right now. Uh, Just amazing. Look for the Ace of Cups album, album number two, which will be released this fall. The amazing Denise Kaufman. And Denise, would we be would we be asking too much if we ask you to kind of play us out? No, I'd love to. The new album, by the way, is called Sing Your Dreams. So Beautiful. Sing Our Dreams, everyone. Right? All right, Denise. Here we go. Take it away. Up next, is he a comedian or a musician? Well, actually, he is a whole lot more. How Tim Minchin combined his two passions into one amazing career. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Florida's Paradise Coast, Naples, Marco Island, and the Everglades, the ideal place to recharge after a uniquely challenging year. The area's commitment to health and safety with the Paradise Pledge means visiting with confidence. So for amazing meals, incredible sunsets, and endless outdoor adventures, only Paradise will do. Naples, Marco Island, and the Everglades. Learn more at paradisecoast.com. Man, it sure is easy these days to find yourself spending way too much time sitting on the couch, isn't it? Well, it's not as easy as you think to get up, but it just may be more important than you realize. So let's talk for a minute about how. Man, my couch can be pretty stubborn. It doesn't want to let me go. So the key to getting active is to start with something slow and easy, something you'll do more than once, something where you won't overdo it and end up doing more harm than good, Something that doesn't require a membership or cost you any money. Something you could do any time of the day. Take a walk. I know, it sounds way too simple, too easy, but walking is one of the best exercises you can do. It helps your posture, works just about every muscle group, your circulation, and if you strike up a conversation with that neighbor you haven't seen in years, it can even boost your socialization, which is something else you can't do on the couch. I get it. I haven't told you anything you don't already know, and you probably agree with, too. So why don't we do it? 
Reason number one, it's boring. Well, not anymore. You know the phone you have? There are so many things you can listen to. What was your favorite album in high school? Give it a listen for the first time in decades while you're walking around the block. Hey, you've heard of podcasts. Why don't you download one? Maybe you'll find out why so many people love them. Look, walking is awesome. Are there any gators listening out there? A University of Florida study shows that even if you only go a quarter of a mile, it makes a huge difference in the aches and pains and flexibility over those who don't. And here's something else. Walking... Well, it's a gateway exercise. Yep, it's been proven to lead you to the hard stuff like jogging, biking, even exercising. You will feel better about yourself because you'll feel better overall. You'll find yourself wanting to improve your diet. You'll even see it in your blood work. You'll have more strength, better endurance, balance, and flexibility. So what do you say? Give it a try. Start today. Promise yourself that you'll walk at least three times a week, and before you know it, you'll be a better, healthier you. More information at growingbolder.com slash Medicare. Hello, everybody, uh, and apparently uh, Tim Mitchin's creativity knows no bounds. He is, as you know, an internationally acclaimed actor. He's a comedian, a writer, a musician, uh, and creator, writer, producer, director, composer, and star of a hit television series called Upright, already a smash in Australia. It will be making its U.S. debut exclusively on Sundance now. And joining us from his home in Sydney, Australia, is Tim Minchin. Tim, uh, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, it's 7.33 a.m. It's my, it's my kids' first day back at school after their winter break. Uh, so they're somewhere in other room of the house complaining, whining, not remembering to pick up their lunch boxes, you know. And yeah, I'm getting to avoid it all. Right. I don't know I don't know why, but when I, I did the math and understood that we would be talking to you uh, in the early morning in Sydney, I, I imagine that you would not be as bright eyed and bushy tailed as you are. Uh do you get up and hit it pretty hard right away? Oh, this is pretty normal. I mean uh, my kids are thirteen and eleven and, and especially at this time in history uh, obviously I'm not out touring and I'm quite good at shifting my it, it takes a little minute to adjust but you know I have my touring self which is a, a pretty nocturnal kind of creature but mostly when I'm home I'm up at 6 30 or 7 and doing dad stuff and getting on with my day so I right. Let's get the COVID stuff past us, at least as far as this interview is concerned. You mentioned yeah. uh, your tour has been canceled. Uh, I would imagine you'd be doing publicity for this big television show uh, in person on occasion if you could. How has this impacted your life? Are, are, are you enjoying your time in Sydney or are you getting a little restless? I, I think, uh, well, we're not, we're not having as much trouble as you guys are just because our population is lower and more spread out. Um, we're, we're having a kind of second wave at the moment, which I think is getting people down a lot. From my point of view, I was in the middle of a tour and shutting that down was kind of traumatic uh, for fans, but also for my band and my crew, all of whom suddenly lost work. And uh, and then, yeah, it took a while to adjust, but I, it's very normal for me to spend probably the majority of my time creating you know I, I don't actually tour that much I'm much more likely to be writing 
I've got an album coming out later this year that I'm that I've been finishing the mix on and making music videos for to the extent that we can. Uh, I've got a new musical that I'm slowly starting to develop and a new TV show. So I I find it a little stressful that I can't go out and play because that's sort of a valve release for me, the actual live stuff. But uh, but it, I'm I'm not bored. I'm nice and busy, and I think staying busy is the main. Man, Good for you. If you can. Let's talk about Upright for a moment, if we yeah. can, because, uh, you know, it, it's it's gotten rave reviews. In fact, folks, one critic described it as having the irreverence of Fleabag, the colorful beating heart of Parks and Rec, and the backdrop of Breaking Bad. Uh, boy, that makes uh, me want to see all of it. Tell us a little bit, yeah. Tim, about what it's about. Well, it's it's a it's a uh, very bingeable eight eight half hours, but it's really a a single narrative about a guy um, who is trying to drive a piano across Australia. So Australia, um, sometimes Americans don't realise that Australia is about the same size as North America, but there's about three towns between one side and the other, and uh, he's trying to drive across this vast expanse. Um, and we don't really know a lot about him at the beginning. We just know he's stressed as hell and, um, you know, has this burden he's carrying and he has a car accident with a teenage girl who, again, we don't know about much about except that she's very angry and incredibly tough and swears a lot. Um, <laughs> and they kind of end up by, you know, through all sorts of machinations having to do this journey together. Uh, it's a classic sort of odd couple road trip. But in parallel to this road trip, we're slowly through flashback and through conversation, learning about the motives and the backstories of these guys. And uh, there's lots of, it's, it's very funny and it's quite dry in its humor in, in that sort of Australian way, but it's got this huge heart and it falls towards this moment in the eighth episode where he finally gets back to Perth, which is where he grew up, but he's been exiled from Perth for eight years. And he finally realized the full extent of his uh, damage, I suppose. And it ends in this really uh, beautiful, redemptive place. So that, that review you read out is very kind. And I know what they uh, mean. And I'm very flattered by it, obviously, because all of those shows are incredible. But it, it is certainly not um, like any of them, really. It has its own sort of balance between comedy and heart and it its own aesthetic and it looks fantastic because it's uh it's got a big desert and it's got this in the middle of the screen a lot of the time. I mean, who doesn't want to watch that before? Oh my God. Well, you know, you know, thank you for saying that because obviously uh, the show is really not about you, but as a creative piece, you know, it really is totally you. It's, it's deep. It's funny. It's irreverent. Uh, it's dramatic. Uh, obviously you wrote, if not your real self, uh, you, you know, your, your deep self into this piece, didn't you? I did, and I was one of four writers, and I wasn't even one of the originating writers, but I had actually been living in America for a few years and had had a, one of those classic Hollywood stories, or at least the classic wrong Hollywood story, where I did a lot of work and then a corporate takeover came along and trashed my work, and uh, I guess I, I turned 40, and my wife and kids and I had moved back to Australia for the first time in the kid's life we, we were overseas for 12 years and they were born overseas and it was a very strange time for me I was probably in hindsight a little bit depressed um, I, I sort of had this feeling like 
Um, I certainly didn't feel like making comedy particularly, although I have a compulsion to sort of be silly even when I'm feeling serious. Um, so when I came on this project, I, I did. You're absolutely right. I kind of brought all my stuff, a lot of my past, um, and, and certainly my obsession with, I, I think in telly, people uh, traditionally always wanted to either be a drama or a comedy. And I've always been irritated by the the idea that they're separate things, you know, um, that I don't see any need to categorise any story because like life, it's both comedy and tragedy all the time, all day long. And uh, so I guess I brought that obsession to it as well. We are talking to the multi-talented and always interesting Tim Mitchin about uh, his new project, which will be available exclusively on Sundance Now. But, but Tim, you mentioned uh, your your music, and you've got an album out. The, the second single is, is coming out soon, your debut studio album. Uh, I, I found the, 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 the second single really, really interesting. The first as well, but, but the second is called I'll Take Lonely Tonight. And uh, of all things, it's about monogamy. Uh, how did, how did you come to want to write about that? Yeah, the sexy subject of monogamy. <laughs> well, I'm um, I'm unusual in my industry in that I, you know, I do uh, I tour and I do concerts to um, not so much in America. I'm not so well known, but in in England and Australia, I play to thousands and thousands of people, and you know, I uh, I, I have that life. Um, but I also am married to my first girlfriend, and um, and and although perhaps intellectually I wouldn't call myself conservative, but I'm very conservative of lifestyle. Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm sort of I'm not too drugs and rock and roll, um, and I'm not particularly uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll either. And, and however, a few things I am obsessed by. One is um, not not screwing up my marriage because I value it and I value the uh, idea that holding on to your family is good. Um, the other thing I, I I am obsessed with speaking honestly in my work, and of course there's honesty and honesty. My my honesty is not I'm not saying everything all the time, but I really I'm not interested anymore in listening to love songs that that kind of paper over the truth of what love and stuff's about. So I'm always looking for new ways to talk about these grand themes, and I think it happens in upright as well. Where we're looking for new ways to talk about universal themes. That's the job of art as far as I'm concerned. And in Lonely Tonight, I'm just trying to address the fact that sometimes, not just people who are touring musicians, but I have learned since I put the song out, people really, it resonates with people because it's just about the fact that sometimes you're going to get a crush on someone and sometimes you're going to get in a situation with enough booze and enough late night and enough loneliness especially when you're away a lot like I am, where you're going to think, you know what, I just, I really want to do this. And that battle strikes me as really interesting. Uh, and I certainly have experienced it. And it is, if I'm honest, one of the hardest, I know it sounds ridiculous and maybe very male of me, but that moment, the drive to do the wrong thing is incredibly strong like viscerally brainstem strong. And uh, so it's a battle between the intellect and the kind of the, the primitive part of you. And uh, I thought that was worth a six and a half minute <laughs> rock song. 
As do I. You know, Tim, you have got obviously an uh, an active mind that, that I think is a blessing to all of us. And you, you mentioned a lot of people in America don't know of you. I think more do than you realize. Uh, yeah, I first discovered you uh, when I saw Storm on uh, oh. the Internet years ago. Just fascinated by that. Uh, Google it, folks. Tim mentioned Storm. You should see that. Also, uh, I, I watched and greatly appreciated the commencement address that you gave to your alma mater at the University of Western Australia, where you had nine keys to life. I think you, I think you did that maybe seven or eight years ago. Yeah, As you've wow. aged, Tim, have you gotten, uh, have you mellowed at all? Ha- have your keys to a successful life changed at all? Is there a Tim Minchin takeaway at this point that you think is, is important that you should share with everybody? Um, that's a really nice and really big question. And uh, I, I don't, I think I look back on that speech at seven years ago, and I, I that none of none of the points I made ha, have altered particularly for me, except that as you say, there is a bit of a mellowing, or, or perhaps because of what's happened in the last seven years in the world, because of the way we're communicating with one another now, and because of the rise of your mate there in America and Brexit and all those things that I, I happened to be in England when Brexit happened, and I happened to be in America when when Trump got elected and I sort of, this oppositionalism, this this binary tribal, incredible tribalism that is getting worse and worse. I I guess my, I would add something in that speech now about community and about uh, community in the flesh and looking after the people around you and more than anything else, seeing the humanity in, in people you disagree with and trying to find ways to connect with people on the basis of stuff that you have in common rather than only ever coming across people on the basis of the places where you disagree. We, we seem to only, we seem to only really want to communicate with the other side at, at the places where we clash instead of, you never see on the internet people reaching out to say, Hey, you, you and I are very, very different in our politics, but let's explore where we're the same, which of course, if you did it, you would find is 90% of stuff. You would believe 90% of the same stuff. And maybe the 10% where you don't believe the same stuff is incredibly important, but you still need to know about that 90, I think. I would say something more succinct than that. No, that that's very interesting, and you know we we greatly appreciate that. Uh, you know, Tim is is I don't want to say a scientist, but he believes in science. He's also a skeptic. He's a contrarian. All of that said, Tim, I, I find it a little bit unusual, uh, but but incredibly gratifying that you you know you've got two honorary doctorate degree, degrees, uh, and this year you were appointed a member of the Order of Australia. So despite the fact that you like to poke the bear with a stick, you like to stir the Pot, you, you've received a lot of acclaim from the intellectual community. That's got to make you feel good. It does. It, I mean, it, you know, it makes that overused word humble. It does make you go, oh, I'm not, I'm not uh, qualified to be um, to be honoured in in those circles. But at the same time, I, I'm very interested in how to be a good rebel. In fact, perhaps the, one of the things I'm known most for in America or, or in the world is, is my music and lyrics for the musical Matilda, which is about a five-year-old girl trying to vanquish a mean headmistress and mean parents. <laughs> um, and I, that's really a, a musical about standing up 
about righteousness, about standing up for what's right. It very explicitly talks about standing up for what's right and very explicitly talks about rebellion and pulling down institutions that are flawed. Um, however, it, the, the tools she's using to dismantle the institutions which are flawed are um, knowledge and intellect and um, she, she's incredibly bright. And uh, I, th I think we sometimes um, put our, we can be um, fall, fall prey to the instinct to, to assume our righteousness is, um, the, the, the extent to which we are correct about things is correlated to the extent to which we feel them. And I, that's something I've had to work on myself is to try and be more objective about, about which bears I poke. And so I think there is a balance. There, there are institutions that need to be torn down. I have no interest. I think I say in one of my, I'm going to quote myself now, um, in one of my songs, I say, I don't believe just because ideas are tenacious, it means that they're worthy. I have no interest in, in ideas that people say, well, they're 200 years old, they must be good. Uh, in that, to that extent, I'm an iconoclast. But I don't think there's no value in all institutions. There's a lot of negatives in that sentence. I, I think we have to be incredibly bright about the manner in which we poke bears and the, and the areas that we choose to rebel against. Otherwise, um, I'm, I'm pretty worried about, about how, I'm pretty worried about how shouty it all is. And um, that I know that's rich coming from me because I literally made my name by being a polemicist, by just eviscerating ideas without shame and with a lot of swearing. But as I've got older and as the internet has grown and everyone's a polemicist and everyone is shouting and swearing, I've gone, okay, how do I play a different role in this to the extent that I can play any role whatsoever? And I think that that pivot, Tim, if you will, is is indicative of uh, of your lack of fear, which is one of the things that I admire most about you as an artist. Uh, you know, you are willing to move in any direction and uh, and explore without fear of failure. And, you know, our, our company is called Growing Boulder. And, you know, we like to say that we, we, we don't deny the reality of our mortality, but we choose to celebrate the, the, the passion and the, and the possibility of life rather than dwell on the loss and the limitation. You know, it's about adapting and accommodating. And, uh, you know, I, I think you're just a perfect example of that. So, so thank you for everything that you do and everything that you say, because it's always interesting and it's always inspiring. Well, thanks for saying that. That, that, that set me off on a, a that, that's a good place to start my day. Um, I, I, I don't feel fearless and I need to listen to your show more. I think I'll, I'll, I think I'll start with that. Coming up, Mark steps up to the mic to let us know what's on his mind. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard 
Welcome back to Growing Bolder, the program that reminds you it is never too late to live a better, more purposeful, healthier life. Mark Middleton is Growing Bolder's creator, visionary, and CEO. And as usual, my friend has something very important on his mind. Hey, Mark. Bill, you are embarrassing me, but thank you for that. <laughs> you know, I, I really appreciate it. You know, what I want to talk about today, Bill, is editing, and, and, and it's probably not what you think uh, at least I'm not going to start with what I think you think about, uh, because, you know, in our business, folks, it is all about editing. Uh, you know, we rarely come up with anything that's too short. You know, for decades, Bill and I worked in television, and we had to cut a minute or a minute and a half out of our newscast or our sportscast. We had to cut down our video features from three minutes to a minute ten. Uh, and today we have to cut our articles from 1,000 words to 750 words. We have to cut the length of this show from 72 minutes to 56 or 57 minutes, whatever it is. And, and you know, we cut the lead-ins to our social media posts from three paragraphs to two paragraphs. Now, our lives are constantly editing stuff. Editing has been called the process of killing your darlings. It's hard, but it almost always makes the end result better. Uh, but aging, and, and here's where it makes a little bit of a twist, Bill, aging is also a process of editing, or at least it should be, because successful aging almost always involves letting go of things that don't bring value to your life. And not just things, but people. And, and not just things and people, but also events that no longer bring you joy. Uh, and most especially getting rid of stuff that you no longer need. And, and, and there's no reason, folks, for you to go full-blown Maria Kondo, uh, but we're old enough to know what no longer sparks us joy, and we have to let go of that stuff. So if you haven't already started the process of uh, letting go of stuff, you really should do it. In, in fact, Bill, here's a couple of statistics. There are about 300,000 items inside the average American home, and more than 25% of people with two-car garages don't have room to park even one one garage or one car inside. I've got a two-car garage. I've got two cars inside. How about you? I've got a two-car garage and no cars yeah, inside. Yeah, there you go. You're one of the 25%. And that's still not enough uh, room. Self-storage has been the fastest-growing segment of the U.S. commercial real estate market for decades. And, it, and here's the point, really. At, at some point, we don't own stuff. It begins to own us. And, of course, we all need the basics to be happy. But as we grow older, it's less about things. It's more about experience. It's less about being popular and having dozens of friends. It's more about having the right friends. So we need to let go of the chase for material possessions because less stuff almost always leads to more happiness. Nobody ever says, I wish I didn't begin down or, or, or I wish I didn't begin downsizing so soon. So I'm in a downsizing state of mind right now, Bill. How about you? Are yeah. you yeah. I wish I could do it. It's hard to do it. But but your your point is amazingly accurate because stuff weighs you down. You're chained to your house. You don't feel like you can leave, run around as freely as you want to. You're constantly buried under stuff. And my wife always says clutter drives her crazy. It gets in your mind. It's not just clutter of stuff because it gets in your head too. And if you want to clear all that stuff away, folks, clear away the stuff that doesn't matter, whether it's in your head, whether it's in your closets. Mark's making a good point. Yeah, it really is liberating. You know, one of my favorite little quotes uh, is, is someone said at one point that uh, not wanting something is the same as having it without all of the hassles. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and it really is one of the secrets to successful aging. Um, 
you know, want less uh, and have more. And how many times have we talked to people where we say, hey, what's the benefit of being this age? And they always say you start to understand what you really want and what you don't. And it just becomes so much more clear. So all that stuff we collected in our 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, we know now. We're not taking it with us. It doesn't matter. Yeah, isn't it amazing? The value of family, the value of friendship, the value of a quiet meal uh, with a good friend sharing interesting conversations. So, you know, it's what we try to do here at Growing Boulder on a weekly basis. So, uh, you know, thanks for joining us. And, Bill, put this thing in the garage, will you? It's the value of listening to a program like this where we can learn from each other. That's going to do it from now. But Growing Boulder continues on at growingbolder.com. Check it out to find information, tools, and resources, and a whole lot more. Folks, this is the place to start to make the rest of your life the best of your life. We're thrilled you're a part of the program, and we hope to see you again very, very soon. The Growing Boulder Radio Show is a production of Growing Boulder, LLC, all rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member, you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears. Fire and flaming road Using ideas as my map We'll meet on edges soon Said I Proud me heated brow Ah, but I was so much older then I'm younger than that now Half-right prejudice leap Show.